Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Good evening, everybody. Tom and Keith back with you for another week of The Front Row. Plenty to discuss and digest, as always. Actually, we've had plenty of time, perhaps, to digest what happened on Saturday, since we tend to start our focus there. KJ, how are you? Uh, I did not need a supplement to help with the digestion. Well, it's only a matter of... It went easy. At your age, it's only a matter of time, I'm sure. Thank you very much. 6-0 and for Florida State right now. The beginning of the year, say August fifteenth, you thought FSU's record would be what at this juncture of the season? Probably five and one. I mean, I I always thought this team would probably lose two games. They may still, and in the back of my mind, it wouldn't have been surprising if they'd have lost three. You know, nine and three, ten and two at the beginning of August is probably where the collective sane minds were. Uh, so they're a little ahead of schedule uh, along that that line, and I think the bigger thing is is gosh, if you just you, let's say they've played twelve halves of football, if you just look at that second half against Louisville, particularly offensively, uh, you got to be well pleased with the progress that have been made on that side of the ball. No question. A lot of steps forward. We'll talk about that. Uh, Tim Lunefelt will join us later in the show, our Seminoles.com insider. Uh, Wes Durham is going to join us next segment, the voice of the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, we may ask him about Devontae a little bit since you he think? seems to be making a, a career out of the last month or so. But uh, he also was formerly the voice of uh, Georgia Tech, so he'll give us some perspective. And, and, currently, on, on and what, currently does the ACC game of the week. Exactly. Uh, so he'll have some RSM, good, so. good insight. He'll join us. I need to point out that uh, this segment of the Front Row is brought to you by uh, Madison Social. We talk a lot about Madison Social, as we should. Great place to go before and after games, game weekends, or even if there's not a single FSU athletic event uh, taking place. Great real estate overlooking uh, Doe Campbell Stadium. As you know, uh, Tuesday night is trivia night. For those of you not heading to Atlanta, I'm just going to surmise that there's probably a good time uh, in store to be Madison had. Social if you uh, show up on Saturday evening to watch. How about uh, this for reputation? You know, last, last weekend we had the reunion of the 79, 80, 81, uh, 82 groups. We also had the reunion of, of the four African-American players led by J.T. Thomas that, that kind of broke the color barrier uh, at Florida State. They played in their first ball game during the season, 1970 season. And we had a little reception for the combined groups up at the Varsity Club. And um, guess where everybody went after there? I'm going to surmise again for the second time in the last minute that it was Madison Social. There, there was no other place to go. Amazing how that happens. All right. All that said, uh, let's get back to it. So you said 5-1. and one. Uh, Most people, I think you're right. I, I, I think I was on the 10-2 and two side of the ledger at the start of the year. So here we are, 6-0. and oh, And obviously the, the two biggest games left that loom are at Clemson and at Florida. But... You know, you can't worry about those games this week. You just got to try and get better every week. And I do think, certainly offensively, you knew there were parts and pieces and we're starting to see more of them on the same page. I mean, all of a sudden, Kermit Whitfield has become, uh, you know, a, a legitimate offensive threat. The tight ends are getting into the the mix more. Everett Golson's using his legs and looking more confident back there. And all that's without mentioning Hamstring and Dalvin Cook. It's interesting uh, in that one of the things that's happened that I would not have seen happen is is the focus on Jimbo's play calling and and how much credit he is deservedly getting 
for how Goldson and the offense started and then what he directed them into and where they're at now. I mean, I think all of us agree that Jimbo's one of the better play callers uh, in the country, but we, we all know that he calls the plays regardless of who it is. In other words, if the number two quarterback comes in or the number two running back comes in, he expects those individuals to be able to accomplish the same things the number ones do. This year's been a little different. He's changed some of his play calling and and maybe tweaked some of the approaches that he takes to putting that that first 12-page script together and, and how he follows and sets up things. It's been interesting to see Jimbo um, – not mature, but maybe change Evolve. a little bit of his his play calling philosophy. Do you think his script against Louisville? How many false starts do you think it had in the first twelve? Plays? I, I don't it... think uh, that many. And and I, I I I if you've ever watched, and if you haven't, next home game, watch Rick Trickett, the offensive line coach. He typically will be all the way down to the right, typically by himself. And when the kids are on the field, he's nowhere near Jimbo. He's nowhere near Randy. He's nowhere near the play calling. He's way down on the right-hand side just watching. He only interacts when they come off the field. Uh, I suspect uh, that uh, the area of um, um, space around Trickett was a little larger the first two or three series yes, I, of the Louisville game. That's where I'm getting at. I, I would agree with that. So, uh, but Fortunately, they got that fixed second half with something to behold. Uh, so offense seems to be trending up. Defense... Uh, maybe stuck in neutral right now and we we can discuss that in, in greater detail well, two, it's two quick, you know this two week quick things two quick things number one um safety play has been bad and and i think one of the things coach kelly's gonna have to do and and this may shock people a little bit but where the safety play has been worse is in zone i think they're gonna have to play more man coverage and if you as you have talked about i think they're gonna have to bring in a couple of the young kids that are a now finally healthy and b uh, able to from an experience standpoint and you may even see Jalen moved around a little bit particularly in third down or passing situations uh, but it, it, it it's amazing to me i don't have an answer to it but every time everett golson throws over the middle of the field he throws low or behind and every time an opponent throws over the middle of the field, they score touchdowns. I don't know what it is about the middle of the field these days. Well, that might be part of the reason that the angst is uh, is magnified for Seminole fans, uh, given that, that, they, that they see it unfold. Uh, I, what I was going to say is this week's sort of a one-off because it's a much different offense than what you'll face the, the rest of the way. I feel like every week we talk about how it's a different offense, but that really is the way the ACC unfolds. I mean, it's, it's not teams that are mirror images of one another. It's a lot of different... Uh, schemes that that are brought to the table and this georgia tech scheme will lull you into uh paying attention to the run but let's not forget they can throw the ball very very well and if you're not disciplined or you're not uh, in man coverage if you're not where you're supposed to be they can exploit you uh it's not just the run i'm worried about this week for a whole bunch of reasons let me ask you a question special teams punts and I've heard this come up, but I've thought it for the last several weeks. Uh, the, the opposing punters have a week and a half to release the ball with no threat of pressure, it feels like. Uh, I talked to Corey Simon about this, and you know, obviously the Gunners are the only two that are, in theory, only the Gunners can release until the ball is punted. The rest of the team can't move down the field, in theory. But FSU's had no return game there. But but Corey mentioned to me, that I thought this was a good observation, he, he pointed out that during his playing days, he actually got a punt block 
in a punt safe defense just by simply rushing the passer and he doesn't feel that Florida State even in punt safe is doing what their job should be there and that's a simple way to get a little bit more pressure on the on the punter I should say not the passer well two two things number one everyone has gone to that three stack three side by side punt so that that theoretically allows supposedly allows the linemen or the people on the line of scrimmage are not all linemen to get away quicker because the punter is going to be behind those three people side by side. What you see happening is the outside people or anybody who breaks free up the middle, all they do is try to attack those three people. You don't ever see anybody try to go around those three, you know, kind of like the modified way you, you, you block an extra point or, or a, a field goal. You know, you, you, you run an arc, but you run a tight arc. You never see anybody go up to the edge of those three and then try to arc inside to get to it. I, I, I think part of Corey's comment is the fact that they never did that. Uh, they didn't line up that way. Right. So you could get in on the punter quicker. Uh, and obviously the three side by side is why everyone has gone to it. It's more difficult to get to the punter. Uh, but I will agree that uh, it seems like Florida State has not paid any attention or put any special emphasis on trying to block a punt. I think I think that's a good observation. Yeah, I'm not even suggesting they need to block it. It just feels like there's not even the threat of a block. So the opposing punter is just kind of calm out there as if he's just going through a non-contact drill in practice and knows that he's going to be safe well i think unfortunately uh we're back to the age-old thing we're comparing our punter against every other punter and our punter's not as good as every other punter and therefore we're not happy there you have it keith jones ladies and gentlemen all right i just wanted to get on that topic a little bit we can we could examine it for we could do some due diligence and then report back to the group how about that we'll step aside and uh start a conversation with Wes Durham when we come back. Uh, Wes, as I mentioned earlier, voice of the Falcons, former voice of Georgia Tech. Um, almost a hashtag ACC legend at this point. Certainly his dad was the longtime voice of the Tar Heels. All right, we'll step aside, come back with more of the front row right after this. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back to the front row. Florida State and Georgia Tech this week. Baseball playoffs going on. Lots to talk about as always. Keith and I at some point will uh, at least get your reaction to what unfolded between Michigan and Michigan State last week. It was a bad punt. It was that. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of analysis, Keith, you that has you where any, you are. You can't get that anywhere Sitting else. in a studio next to me right now in the All Saints <laughs> District in Tallahassee. Hey, let's go to the phone lines and uh, welcome in Wes Durham, who's uh, ACC broadcaster, the voice of the Atlanta Falcons uh, in his 12th year former voice of uh, Georgia Tech. Wes, how are you? I'm good, Tom. Keith, great to be with you guys. Good to hear from you. Yeah, we, we appreciate it greatly. You know, the uh, the impetus for our phone call to you and, and invitation really surrounds FSU and Georgia Tech, but sure. I, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't start by at least introducing Devontae Freeman to the table here since you've Ooh. watched his career since he got there. Uh, just, you know, share what you can from, from your perch and your uh, role with the Falcons of what you've seen being around Devontae. You know, it's interesting. I think obviously you guys know this because I think that he's uh, he's really no different than he was in Tallahassee or when he arrived from Miami to play for the Seminoles. I, I think that, you know, number one, he's a very humble kid. Uh, I think he's had, um, 
you know, all the all the real aspects that you need to be a pro instilled in him, either through growing up in South Florida or coming to play football in Tallahassee. So when he got here, number one, he had patience because I think he knew Steven Jackson was a veteran and that his time would come. And as the season wore on last year, uh, there was no question his time started to develop. And then when the coaching change occurred, he handled it like a pro. And I think that says a lot about who he is. And then all he needed was a window. And he's taking advantage of it, not only in terms of running the ball, but also catching the ball out of the backfield and then handling it. Because as you guys know, um, even on the major college level, you can have success, but the way you handle success, both individually and as a team, is a is a real key. And uh, and Devontae has done a great job with that. I mean, as as good a job as I've seen out of a second year guy in a uh, in a long, long time, probably since the, in, in the twelve years I've been doing it. Wes, have the Falcon fans embraced that? Are they aware of it, like Florida State fans were when Devontae left? Well, Keith, you know, interesting. I think what they've embraced here is the way he plays. I don't think many of many folks, because he, as you guys know, he's a quiet kid by nature, I guess. Right. And um, I don't think many people have really gotten to know him. Although he did a radio show with us that uh, that Seminole fans can now see on AtlantaFalcons.com. The back issues are all posted online, and we do it in a uh, in a studio out at the uh, at the complex in Flowery Branch, Georgia. And he walked into the room the day to do the interview with Dave Archer and myself. And he saw a sombrero sitting on the floor that they had used for, you know, one of the podcast shows or something like that. Well, he decides to pick up the sombrero and wear it during the interview. <laughs> and and it, and we took a picture of it and ran it on social media. People picked up on it and, you know, it kind of showed the fun side of him. But I think what people have seen, if they haven't seen that, is they've seen a kid that runs incredibly hard and also plays with a physical style that I think surprises them. Because, you know, when you're running back out of Florida State, with all due respect to the great backs they've had, you're thought of more of as a speed and miss guy, not a power guy. I mean, there have been very few, I guess, Keith, you guys, you and Tom would know better than I would. I think there have been very few power guys at Florida State. Not many Greg and, Joneses, that's for sure. No, and when he lowers the boom on you, and he lowered the boom on some cast in Dallas, and when he did that, I think it kind of changed the – impression that Falcon fans had of him and you know the clock hadn't stopped ticking for him since I mean he's he's handled everything beautifully as I said a moment ago and I'm excited for him to go to Nashville on Sunday for the Titan game and and really kind of see him start to develop in this year and you know he's not going to be a 350 carry back because they've got Tevin Coleman who's a uh, high draft pick out of Indiana who they're excited about who missed a couple of ball games with a rib injury but now is back and certainly the little nine-day off uh, period here has helped him get back to toward 100 percent as well We're talking with west Durham, the voice of the falcons former voice of uh, georgia tech now three years removed from that role and uh, let's shift the focus and that's thank you for your insight on Devonte. by the way those of us who had a chance to be around him here knew he was a first class kid so to see him have that kind of success in year two uh it's fun to watch and embrace that uh, i know that uh you know paul johnson very very well and yeah. and one of the things that coach johnson uh you know, swears by is his system. And, uh, and so I guess the, the starting point of this is, is what's happened this year with, with Georgia Tech struggling the way they, they have, Wes. Well, I think it's a, it's a combination of several things, uh, Tom and Keith. I think, number one, it is a, uh, it's a season that's racked with injuries. Um, I mean, you can't lose seven kids in any position, let alone a back, which is a skill spot for them in the offense. 
Um, and you didn't have a lot of experience there anyway because you lost Deion Hill, uh, you lost Charles Perkins, you lost a lot of guys who played a lot of football for you in those spots, in addition to losing the two B-backs and Zach Lasky and Finjan Day. So when you started to lose guys early, uh, it became a major problem. They've been hit minimally on defense with the injury situation, but offensively, whether it be a C.J. Leggett, a kid who tore up his knee in the spring, who they thought would be a big-time B-back, seven different A-backs. They've lost uh, Tycon Marshall, who's now back. Quay Searcy probably will not be back as one of the wide receivers and A-backs for him. It's just kind of ravaged the concept. And thus, uh, Justin Thomas has put a lot more pressure on himself to make plays. To Paul's credit, I think what he's tried to do is say, hey, look, we need to go back to the basics here. We just need to get back to make sure we can run the dive play, run the pitch, um, you know, run the second and the third options and the triple, that kind of thing. Um, and they did that last week against Pittsburgh. But at the same time, the defense that was very opportunistic last year has not been nearly as opportunistic this year. The turnover number is not nearly what it was a season ago. Um, and so, therefore, they're playing a lot of tight games. And if they can't get the offense going, it's going to be a long day. The other part I will add to this is, um, and I think you guys saw this a little bit last year in Tallahassee, the offensive line that so much was expected of it's kind of been a work in progress because guys have just not played to what the expectation or what their capabilities are. And that combined with the schedule. And the schedule is, I mean, I'm not sure the, you know, they, they played everybody but the 72 Dolphins and the 85 Bears this year. Um, the schedule itself has just been uh, murderer's row, and it doesn't get any easier, obviously, with the Seminoles here on Saturday night. Wes, let's go back just a second and talk a little bit about Justin Thomas, very highly touted in the preseason, and I think you said it eloquently. He's had to pressure and press a little bit, and he's made some mistakes. He, he's had to try to do some things that are outside his comfort zone. When he is playing within that comfort zone, he runs this offense as effectively as just about anybody. Yeah, he's the best quarterback in the option system here, the spread option that, that Paul Johnson's had since coming to Atlanta. Um, you get, you know, if you if you know Coach Johnson as well as I do, you can get him into a really good discussion with himself on the best quarterbacks he's ever had in the system. And obviously, Tracy Ham at Georgia Southern kind of headlines that list. Um, he had a great one from uh, Cuthbert, Georgia, and Chris McCoy at the Naval Academy when he was the offensive coordinator there. And then this summer when we were playing golf, he, you know, he reminded me that Michael Carter at Hawaii, who you know, was an outstanding player for him in the first real revelation in the West Coast influence in this offense that uh, that he coached out there. And so, you know, he's had some really good players, but but JT's really good, Keith. I mean, he's uh, he's got brilliant speed. He's a good decision maker. But right now, you know, they're still kind of in the orientation stage, and that's weird to say when they're seven games into the year. But, uh, you know, he he probably felt comfortable last time for the first time in about a month, to be honest. And I think that's something that's uh, that's kind of impacted this season. But, you know, who knows? This is a team that, as you guys know, and I'm sure the fear, I don't think it'll happen knowing Charlie Kelly like I do, but the minute somebody lines up wrong on them, they're going to run for 600 yards and, and put 50 on them, um, you know, like they did in the first two weeks against Alcorn and Tulane. But I don't suspect that'll be Florida State. I suspect that may happen before the year's out, though, and it'll be interesting to see that day because – I don't know if this team will, is going to be able to harbor enough momentum to get to a bowl game, but I suspect it's a team that will finally be playing some of its better football in November 
as opposed to the the, tri- the trials and struggles they've been through in uh, in late September and October. And and that would be a shame. I think Tech Watts, 19 consecutive bowl appearances uh, is their current strength. That's right. Yeah, Big, every year since 97 they've yeah. been. Big picture, uh, Wes, you, you, we're halfway through the regular season. <clears throat> uh, you and, and James, uh, you know, doing the uh, RSN stuff, uh, have seen uh, the bulk of the teams, and obviously you pay attention to what's going around. What, what's kind of been your biggest surprise and, and what's your biggest disappointment uh, at the halfway mark here in the ACC? Well, I think the, probably the expectation at Georgia Tech is probably the disappointment because I think the pieces were there um, for them to, to maybe, you know, get back to double-figure win total even with the schedule. I, I thought 10 wins was an overshoot just based on how tough the schedule was going to be. Um, but I thought they could get to nine. And, and who knows? You know, I mean, they, they may catch lightning in a bottle here. But, but it, clearly they'd be a disappointment. I think NC State's a disappointment, to be honest with you guys. I I had some expectations of NC State. I thought that the momentum they built off beating Carolina at the end of the regular season, the bowl win over Central Florida, I know they were playing, you know, basically uh, church flag football teams in the first few weeks, but I still thought they had, uh, I still thought they had the right kind of pieces and enough youth and experience combined to have a really nice year. So I'm, I'm a little surprised at their struggles once they got into league play against Louisville and uh, and the other night against Virginia Tech. I'll be interested to see how they respond this weekend against Wake Forest. Biggest surprise for me, to be honest with you, is Pittsburgh. Um, I thought Narduzzi was a really good football coach. Don't get me wrong. I thought he was and in, in the professional world, Keith and Tom. You know, sometimes these guys wait a while to take head jobs. And I was excited to see what he could do defensively. But to be honest with you, when they lost James Conner, I thought, well, you know, they may be good on defense. They'll have a real hard time doing anything offensively. But uh, I think they've done a very, very nice job, and they're on a collision course with North Carolina a week from Thursday night at Heinz Field in a Thursday night game that could very well have a tremendous impact on where the Coastal Division is going to go. And so the whole country would get say, to see I would it. say Pittsburgh and Carolina would probably be the two biggest surprises to me right now. Hey, hey, Wes, while you were talking, the uh, SEC office just called. They took offense at the, the comment about church flag football teams. They'd like you to know those teams are really, really good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's going to be for, hey, you know, what, you know what's going to happen, Tom? That's going to be for that committee to come in there in uh, Dallas in a couple of weeks and come out and explain my favorite term in the new world of college football, which is game control. Oh, oh don't say God. that. Oh, don't, don't say that oh, around God, Florida State, folks. Started. Hey. I've got, I got to tell you, my new favorite term in college football has been game control because I want to hear all about more game control because I think that's, the, that's about the most ridiculous term I've ever heard used. You know, and the way they talk about it, it's as if the, the one-loss, the win-loss standings don't matter. Like, let's just show game control percentage instead of actual win-loss standings. Yeah, exactly. Hey, let me, let me ask you, believe me, FSU uh, Seminole Nation agrees with your sentiment there. Uh, Keith, Keith went bigger picture. I'll go. I'll go bigger picture too. Is there going to be an ACC network in our future? I mean, you're plugged in as a lead broadcaster for the conference. Hmm. I hope so. Um, I think so. I think that there there are a lot of things going on though. There are a lot of moving parts, and I'm sure you guys, uh, where you are, hear a lot of the same rumblings that that I hear in the Atlanta market from ACC fans, and that is. Well, the SEC has one, don't we get one too? Because we basically signed up for the same deal they did. And the semantics are a little different in the deals, but the reality of it is, yes, you did. And I, I do believe that uh, that an ACC network will going to happen. I, I, I don't know if it will be um, displayed or packaged in the same way that the SEC has one. 
Um, I think that, and you're probably going to hear more about this, there's reports today that as many as 350 people are going to be laid off at ESPN today uh, within their company because of uh, budget cuts at both ABC, Disney, and ESPN. So I, I believe an ACC network's going to happen. I don't believe that it'll happen next year. It could happen as early as 17. Uh, my guess would be maybe 18 when all the dust settles a little bit on some of this budgeting. And, and I would say this to you. I think it's going to be branded and packaged in a different way than the SEC network is. And, um, you know, it, it's going to be fascinating to see, but I definitely think the ACC is going to get one. And part of the reason they're going to get one is because of the influence that the SEC network, and you guys know this from talking to coaches, the Big Ten network and what the Pac-12 network is. And uh, all that is good in terms of what the ACC ultimately gets in its uh, in its network footprint as well. Well, and Wes, you've you've proven your your understanding of things because we've we've heard about the money that has been paid to the schools in, in any of those networks. But what we <clears throat> excuse me are just now hearing about is the money that ESPN has lost in putting this together to pay those schools that type mm-hmm. of money. And I think that's yeah. why the ACC is appropriately being hesitant. One other thing I tell Tom, he, he rolls his eyes at me, but I've been around the league and you've been around even longer than I from, from a, 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 a standpoint of knowing Swafford. The ACC doesn't leak information. The, the next thing you're going to hear about the ACC network is we are starting it in this date. That's just the way this league works. They don't release information. They don't chase stories, you know, and, and so by not hearing anything about it, don't think nothing's going on, in my opinion. Uh, the next thing you hear about it will be, here's what it is and here's how we're doing it, I think. No, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, the, I think the discussions are well underway. Don't get me wrong. I think the question is, and, and you guys can understand this because, the package that I'm on right now is one that's spread out. I think in your area, it's Fox Sports Florida, if I'm correct. Um, you know, in uh, in in Georgia, Louisiana, uh, Alabama, Mississippi, it's Fox Sports South. In the Carolinas, it's Fox Sports Carolinas. In the mid uh, Atlantic area, Virginia, Maryland, it's Comcast Mid Atlantic. In the Northeast, it's Nesson. In Pittsburgh, it's Root Sports. I mean, so. What I'm telling you is, is that even to get the ACC to a package where it stretches into, and our game last Saturday night was in 74 million homes, that that requires a little bit of rope, if you will. And I think the ACC has to has to kind of qualify how they want this done in order to impact as many homes. The key with the SEC network is that it launched, and when it launched, it was in over 90 million homes are 90 million subscribers. Now, a subscriber could be a family of four or a person of one, but the, the reality of it is you got to find a way to make sure that you're covering as much of your footprint as you can when you launch. Mike Slide deserves a tremendous amount of credit for getting that done at launch date, for sure. We could we could talk at much greater length and probably will at some point uh, about uh, the viability or what the ACC network uh, might look like. But, Wes, uh, we, we appreciate your, your time and insight. Uh, enjoy uh, what you do with the ACC. Enjoy, uh, you know, flying with the Falcons right now. That's a pretty fun ride. Yeah, it is. And uh, you guys know it can change on every Sunday, but 5-1 uh, <laughs> and one is not a bad spot to be after six ball games for well, sure. Well, Devontae's on my fantasy team, so don't, don't let him change, okay? Well, you and my son, my 16-year-old son, picked him like late rounds because he was afraid he was going to split carries, and all of a sudden he's 
fired off like a rocket. And my son says, Dad, I'm a genius. I could be a GM. I'm like, okay, there you go. <laughs> the voice of the Atlanta Falcons, Wes Durham, joins us on the front row. Thanks so much, Wes. Wes, thanks so much. All right. Take All care, right. guys. Good to be with you. Likewise, likewise. KJ, let's, let's react, continue that conversation about the uh, potential ACC network on the other side and some of the other things Wes said. Uh, we'll continue right after this. This is the front row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. And welcome back to the front row. Tom and Keith with you. Good insight from West Durham, the voice of the Falcons. Uh, Tim Linefelder, Seminoles.com insider, will join us next segment. This segment, uh, Keith and I are going to react to some of Wes's comments. And uh, this segment is brought to you by Flying Bear Great American Grill. It's uh, basically Thomasville Road. Uh, if you're in northeast Tallahassee, you know where it is. But uh, north on Thomasville, past Cary Forest on the left-hand side of the street. Tell Brian that uh, Keith and I sent you there. Uh, family-owned and operated restaurant. It's been a big hit out on the northeast uh, side of town. Open 11 to 9, Sunday to Thursday, and 11 to 10 on Friday and Saturday. Kid-friendly. It is kid-friendly. I have kids. I can I can vouch for that. Um do you know what they call that section of town now, by the way, Keith? Uh, North Midtown? Uh, uptown. 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 Okay. We, uptown. We've gone from downtown to Midtown, and now apparently I live near Uptown. Well, touch you. The the definition of Uptown, when you look at it up, is long commute in Tallahassee. If you're driving, <laughs> downtown. If you're driving during rush hour, <laughs> either direction, that's the definition of Uptown. All right, let's, uh, let's go back to the, uh, first of all, I knew they had a lot of injuries. I didn't know they lost seven A-backs. You know, now that Wes mentioned I mean, that, that's that your, I, had, that's, I had read that. That's, that means you lost Dalvin Cook and Mario Pender and Jaquez Patrick and Vickers and Freddie Stevenson and two other guys that are walk-ons for effort. That's basically what they're saying they lost. Yeah, that's running seven back position. running backs Well, and, injury. And that would explain why the option is not firing on all cylinders because of, uh, you know, I mean, just look at the two times we've seen FSU run the option. One time it was perfect and Cook goes the distance. The next time, Golson didn't look real comfortable running it. Gave ground and lost three or four yards. That was uh, an interesting thing takeaway for me. I didn't realize that it was that depleted. Uh, now, as far as the ACC network, you and I have talked a lot about this offline uh, over the years. I, I do agree that something's going to happen on this, and I and I know firsthand that at Florida State they're they're preparing for it to the point that next year when they put in a new video board, uh, part of that is a new control room to go with that new video board, but part of that new control room is to do more broadcasts, uh, you know, which is needed for an ACC network. Having said that, this to me the question when I hear it from FSU fans is not really coming from a place of we want an ACC network because we really want to watch the Wake Forest pit game next Saturday or the all-time classic of Carolina and NC State from pick a year. People just want to know that the ACC is is getting comparable revenue. So whatever that looks like, you know, as long as the ACC is going to get an uptick and come closer to what the SEC is getting in terms of payout per school, is going to, I, I think is going to make people happy, which is what – and I'm saying all that to say I agree with what Wes is saying. I don't know that it's going to be a dedicated channel 
on TV, but there's going to be a mechanism at some point here in a couple of years where the ACC is going to get some some uh, dollars. Back. And again, we could spend a lot of time on this. I'll try to be concise. See, I, I came into broadcasting in '86 with Clearview out of out of uh, Jacksonville, and then '88 Sunshine Network was started. Sunshine Network went to the individual cable operators and said, "We'll do joint venture 50 50. We'll we'll do all the production, and everything. We'll sell all the advertising, and you can split the profit with us." So each of the local Cable networks had the, uh, you know, the, the incentive to add Sunshine Network to their channels because they could have the potential to make money. Sunshine Network got a, a per subscriber fee. All right. Well, now there's only five or six main cable networks. Everybody's consolidated. Fast forward 30 years almost. Now you've got Espen going in and saying, we need you to have this channel, whether it's you or two or three or the SEC channel or the Big Ten channel or the ACC channel. Now we've got seven, eight, nine channels that you're asking the cable operators to have. And Espen wants 50, 60, 70 cents per channel every month in revenue. That, well, that maybe model. on the lower on the lower ones. I mean, they're getting close to six bucks for ESPN Maine. I mean, they're the ones that have the whole whatever the numbers. They don't, are. yeah, they don't want the debundling because they're making so much on that. So the point being, now the cable systems are losing subscribers, and as I made the comment to West, that he astutely was very well aware of. Yes, the money's going to the schools, but Espen is losing hundreds of millions of dollars. And unless Espen's making money, they will not be able to continue to funnel that money to the schools. So that then leads to where we could have the two-hour discussion. How do you deliver content? And in today's world, you got Hulu. Uh, you've got uh, On Demand. You've got the ability to download and stream on your on your uh, personal uh, devices, whether it be your iPhone, your iPad, yeah, you've whatever. Yeah, you've got a lot of options. It's, well, it's just not the traditional subscriber methodology for well, and cable that, television. And that's why ESPN's doing layoffs today because they've lost three or four million subscribers exactly. over the past year. And again, if you I, last time I ran the numbers on it, ESPN gets, I think, $7 billion a year on their subscriber base because you're looking at, you know, if you just – I'll make the numbers easy, but on ESPN, 100 million subscribers paying six bucks a month to ESPN times 12 months a year. That's before they've sold the first ad. But ESPN is not going to watch it all go down the drain. So if the system is not working for them, and ESPN has been the one that wants everything bundled, they don't want to decouple, so to speak. But if it's not working, and this is what I think will happen with the ACC network, I think at some point, and maybe I'm just overly optimistic. I think at some point ESPN is going to have to go to a model where just like you can pay X amount to subscribe to Hulu, you can pay X amount and subscribe to the ESPN networks. And I could see – I don't know how many tiers they'd go, but I could see a couple tiers like for, for 25 bucks a month. I think when they did the estimates on that, they were guessing it would be 30 or 35 bucks a month to get all the ESPN channels. This is industry insiders. But hypothetically, you could pay 25 bucks a month, get ESPN, ESPN2, and ESPNU. Then you put an ACC network – and and you uh, partner it with the SEC network, and SEC fans will cringe at that. But basically, then if you're buying the SEC network, you're also supplementing the ACC network, and vice and you, versa. And you add five or seven dollars or whatever that is to get to that threshold. And to me, that's where the ACC network is going to have a chance to get penetration because it's not going to show up in ninety million homes. There's not enough demand. No. I mean, look at the fan bases and the stadiums that the ACC plays football in. There's just not enough demand, and that's you know that doesn't get talked about. We talk about the on-field product. This is another topic. We got to make a list of all these topics we come up with, Keith. 
you well, know, the, 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 pa- the passion of SEC fans sometimes gets misconstrued right. to me that, that er- their whole product is better. No, they definitely have more passion, but their product is not light years better than every other conference. And, and the ACC's product in basketball and in the non-revenue sports is better than the ACC, SEC's product. So if you put the two together, you've got the best of both worlds. And, and, and we're saying the same thing. I just – I'm not – is insider savvy to how it works, but you know you can't launch the ACC network with, as you said, with ninety million subscribers in the traditional sense. You may launch it and work up to thirty or forty million subscribers under this alternate method, alternate delivery system, and and that's what is taking the time to put together and figure out. In my opinion, one of the interesting things is that the SEC network is headquartered in Charlotte, and. You know, if and when we get an ACC network, I don't know where it'll be, but I know firsthand that they've surveyed uh, a property in Atlanta that used to be uh, Comcast Sports Southeast or whatever it was, which just strikes me as very ironic if the ACC network was headquartered in Atlanta while the SEC is headquartered in Charlotte. I mean, it's like at some point they should just do a trade to well, make but, that come out in the but, wash. But right? to be <laughs> fair to our listeners, why is the SEC network in Charlotte? Because ESPN had already had a facility set up there. Right. That's, right. that's Bristol South yeah. in Charlotte. Well, they, all this is conjecture. At the end of the day, what everybody wants to hear is that the ACC schools are making as much money or close to it as everybody else. And, and, and that's, by the way, that's where the consternation comes from. By the way, that's from. not going to happen either. It's not going to get the same, but it's they can make gonna, more. Exactly. They can, they'll get close, but it will not be the same and, and, and won't ever be the same, just like the average attendance at an SEC football game will always be greater than the average attendance at an ACC game. And one of the interesting things about this conversation, when FSU joined the ACC, the ACC paid more than the SEC. But if you, if you use 1992 as a benchmark when FSU joined the league and you count up football national titles, Florida State has three and Alabama has three and Florida has three. And that's the top of the food chain over the last quarter century. So this notion that FSU can't compete, they've been doing it for the last quarter century at the highest level. With, with the other big boys, so to speak, which I always find interesting when they rank Florida State's not a top 10 job, it's a 15 or 20 or wherever it falls in the pecking order. And yet when you look at it that way, I don't know, seems like it's it should be ranked a little bit higher. That's another topic we need to write down. All right. We're Who's keeping his list? I don't know. It, it goes in one side, comes out the other. We'll step aside. I think we're going to talk to Tim Linnefelt next. We'll ask him if he's keeping a list. He's Keith. I'm Tom, and this is The Front Row. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. And welcome back to the front row. Time now for our Seminoles.com insider report. Tim Linnefeld joins us here shortly. I'll remind you, you can catch Jimbo's postgame press conference. It streams live on Seminoles.com following every home game. Of course, you can catch his Monday press conference, too, right on Seminoles.com via your desktop or your uh, mobile device, whatever you want. No subscription required. Also, you can... uh, Follow along all of Florida State athletics there. Tim, how about we start with basketball? You know, I mean, just to be different, you, did you go? You were at the jam with Ham, right? I did. I went to the jam with Ham, and then they actually opened up one of their team scrimmages uh, earlier this week on, I guess it was yesterday on Tuesday, and got to get maybe a closer look at them uh, as well. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's getting close. General quick thought on the team. Is there reason uh, to have high optimism, as most seem to do about this team? 
Man, I really think that I think there is, and I I'll be quite honest with you. I wasn't sure that I was buying in before getting to see them out on the floor, but but getting to watch some of the the talent and athleticism they have, especially with those freshmen. We all know about Dwayne Bacon, the McDonald's All American, but I think Malik, excuse me, Malik Beasley uh, could be just as exciting. He was the kid that you saw that tried to field the uh, the dunk from the rafters at the jam with Ham, uh, and then attempted the the Air Jordan dunk and came really close on both of them, but, but certainly has a, a little something to him. And, and then a guy that's flying under the radar is Terrence Mann. Uh, and talking to Coach Coach Leonard Hamilton, he's really excited about him, said that he's a guy that just from day one is, is doing everything right, can defend, uh, is smart with the ball, has a good IQ. So He's also kind that of the and, enforcer, I'm told. <laughs> between that and the, uh, and, and the veterans, Monte Brandon, Devin Booker, the guys that have sort of been through some of the battles, uh, I, I think there, uh, there is definitely reason for optimism in Texas. See, that's why we call him the insider. Just tee him up. He didn't know we were going to ask basketball, and he's all over it. The only, the you, only insider. You prepped me, and you didn't. The only insight I can add, Tim, is that the the seven four kid whose name uh, is how do you pronounce that? By the way, Chris Kumaje. Kumaje, yeah. seven foot four inches is really tall. I yeah, followed him up the escalator after the jam with Ham, and seven four is is tall. Well, it's funny. <laughs> this man, just in. Well, uh, you know, Boris Bojanovsky is listed at 7'3", and so you would think that at 7'4", wouldn't be that big of a difference. But if you look at the team photo, uh, I think we have it up on the site. I mean, he's almost a half a head taller than him. It's, it's nuts. He's the tallest person I've ever seen in my life. And, and more than that, some uh, some folks over at the, at the basketball program said that he can really move. Say he runs uh, as well as any big man that they've had. Runs like a deer, I think was the phrase. And uh, and so, yes, yeah, so it, it should be interesting to see how he gets involved, too, because, uh, my goodness, he's got some length. All right, basketball season coming up. Obviously, Keith, uh, you're, you work with Gene on the basketball broadcast, so we'll have plenty to talk about uh, as we as we bounce into hoops. But l- let's talk uh, a little bit of uh, FSU football as we typically do at this time, Tim. Uh, general thoughts, uh, FSU, Georgia Tech. I mean, do you feel confident, comfortable? you think this is a one-possession game in the fourth quarter? What do you think? I don't know about a one-possession game in the fourth quarter, but I, I think it kind of reminds me, to be quite honest with you, of, the, the Louisville game last week and all the things that I think people said about Louisville is, you know, beware of their record and they're, they're better than, than you've seen in their final scores. I, I think that applies to, to Georgia Tech and they've lost, I guess, with it five straight games now. And look, good teams don't lose five straight games. I'm not going to, not going to lie about that, but they've lost to some really, really good teams. And I think what Georgia Tech does on offense, you know, it's, it's either going to cause problems for you or it's not. You know what I mean? I don't think that just because another team has success against them means that you're going to have success against them, specifically with that offense. So uh, I think it's a, a really good measuring stick for, for Florida State's defense. We saw how much they struggled against Georgia Tech a year ago. So I'm curious to see you know, what, what kind of progress they've made in, in that front. In that front. And, and I think the things that Florida State has done well this year in terms of tackling and rallying to the ball, and, and they played really good run defense, uh, you know, those should translate against Georgia Tech. And I'm, I'm curious to see if they actually do. You know, Tim, a lot of folks were talking about the Louisville game after the big Miami win uh, and the hangover effect. Uh, that's my fear about this week. I am much more concerned about Georgia Tech than I was about Louisville from the mental aspect and, and uh, would be interested in your perception here in that this defense, though it has played well against the, the run, it has had the propensity to give up the big play. And that's one of the things that this Georgia Tech defense lulls you into. You get to pay attention to this, this, and this and forget something else, and they can burn you for for 70 either on a missed tackle on a running play or they can throw the ball down the field. That That's my concern as Florida State travels to Atlanta, the big play. Uh, I agree with you completely, and I, I think that that aspect of things is 
like you said, just as much, if not more, in play this week than it was last week. I don't know. I, I never really – I don't know that I ever really thought that Florida State was in for a letdown against Louisville. I don't know. It just, just didn't seem that way. And I don't necessarily feel that they will be this year, but I do think it's maybe even more of a concern, especially going on the road against a team that, that has really struggled and, and failed to meet expectations. But, you know, part of what you said is, is the big plays, and, and that's uh, – big plays happen when you play Georgia Tech, and, and I'm curious to see – you know, if if Florida State gives up a 35-yard run or even a 60-yard run, it, that's going to happen sometimes. Are they able to bounce back? Are they able to keep their heads on straight, get back and, as Jimbo says, forget the last play and, and play the next play? Because they're going to have to do that. Even when you beat Georgia Tech, they're going to get their yardage on the ground. It's just what they do. And and like you said, Keith, if, if you're not paying attention on the outside, they'll, they'll lull you to sleep and, and toss it up to one of those big receivers that they seem to have every single year. So it's still a dangerous offense. I think it's a dangerous game. I think Florida State should probably expect to win it, but that doesn't mean it's going to come easy. I think it's particularly curious, uh, or I'm curious, I guess, to see what Florida State is going to do with its defensive backs, given the the injuries, given the loss of Trey Marshall. Uh, you know, I don't know if if you know whether or not uh, Terrence Smith is going to be back, but you know, there's there's conjecture, and this is mainly fan conjecture. Are you going to move Jalen from the outside and and move him to the star? I mean, how many parts and pieces do you want to move around when you're talking about a team where more than any other team you play, you've got to be disciplined and fundamentally sound? Well, sure, and that's what kind of uh, caught my eye too, or caught my ear, I guess I should say it earlier this week. When Jimbo Fisher mentioned specifically Marcus Lewis and Tavares McFadden, the two young cornerbacks, but they're really coming on and getting ready to contribute. And I think that's exciting if you're a Florida fan. Those guys have a lot of talent. You want to see them get on the field. But, man, sticking them out there, if, if they were to, uh, stick them out there against Georgia Tech and have that be their first significant game action, that, that's a pretty tall order. I mean, this game is almost like a one-off. You know, nothing you really do def- or defensively uh, can, uh, applies as much for the rest of the season. And I think asking a true freshman to come in and, and face that offense, which just thrives on misdirection and, and confusion, uh, that's, that's a pretty uh, pretty tough task for, for those guys. I, to me, I, I wonder, you mentioned Terrence Smith. I also wonder about Nate Anders. I and mean, this seems like the kind of game that's just tailor-made for him uh, and a physical defensive back who can close in and, and support the run. You'd love to have him 100%. We don't know exactly what his status is going to be. And, and no, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Jalen Ramsey move inside, especially on, on obvious running downs, because you're going to need to have your, your athletic guys, your fast guys, and your smart guys, uh, all of which Jalen fits the bill to, to slow down that rushing attack. It's, uh, it's kind of a, a puzzle. It's, it's almost like a Rubik's Cube of, you know, do you, do you slide who here and, and move somebody else over there and figuring out the best combination to, to slow them down. Uh, and then the other side is, you know, Florida State's defensive line. They didn't have a strong game against Georgia Tech last year. I think uh, Georgia Tech's cut blocking kind of caused some problems up front, and, and we'll be interested to see, you know, how that plays out uh, plays out this year, if it's the same dynamic or, or if they're a little bit better at, uh, at dealing with those blocks than they were a year ago. Tim, generally speaking, Georgia Tech has struggled in bowl games when, when opponents have had more than a week to prepare for them. Uh, Coach Fisher alluded to the fact that during the bye week, uh, defensively, uh, Florida State spent some time working against the Georgia Tech option. Uh, so they've got more than, a, if you will, a week of preparation getting ready. Um, Tech has, has had success running the ball against Florida State. Uh, FSU's just outscored them the last couple of, of, of contests. How do you see this one going? I think still, you know, Georgia Tech's going to be able to move the ball a little bit. I think Florida State's defense is really good, but you know when you consider just the, the average yardage that a, that a college football team puts up on a on a weekly basis, Georgia Tech does that. It's just they do it, you know, almost all of it on the ground. 
I know they've had some injuries in their defensive, or excuse me, in their offensive backfield, and I don't want to minimize those. But I think in this type of offense, more than any other, it really comes down to, to execution more than just raw talent. And I don't want to say it's just plug and play back there, but I think it is more so than say at a place like Florida State or, or another another uh, program that runs more conventional offense. So I guess my thought is, is don't be surprised if Georgia Tech you know is able to rip off a few long runs and, and maybe even score some points. Uh, but but the other side is that is, is Georgia Tech's defense, which has not been very good, going to be able to slow down Florida State's offense enough? And I think right now you think probably not. He is our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Tim, we will see you in Atlanta. I'll be there. All right, a good insight uh, as always uh, from Seminoles.com. As you mentioned, uh, if you go to Seminoles.com, you can you can determine if, if Boris Bojanovsky is actually really maybe 6'9", for example, if, if you know that the other guy's a head taller than him check out the picture exactly all right we'll come back and wrap things up on the other side of this break stay with us you're listening to the front row with tom block and keith jones got a question email them at the front row at 97.9 espn radio.com here's tom and keith and as you know, the front row is presented by Hobson Chevrolet Buick and Cairo. Get your best deal the Hobson way. If you are not aware, Keith, now Keith, you need to take copious notes on this because uh, get my pen exactly. You can, uh, you mean your your chisel and your stone tablet. The front row is on demand after every week's show through two convenient methods. You can uh, head to ESPNTallahassee.com and uh, under the Audio Vault drop down menu, click on the front row. All our shows archived there, or you can simply subscribe to the podcast of the show via iTunes. That way you'd never have to go a day of your life without hearing Keith Jones and yours truly in your life. Doesn't get better than that. Two minutes to go. Keith, what's going to happen this week uh, against Georgia Tech? Uh, This is the game I'm worried about. Uh, I was not worried about Louisville. I heard Tim say the same thing. This is the game I'm worried about. Night kickoff. uh, Spend all all day around the hotel room getting ready, out of town. Going to get back late. Uh, unconventional offense, uh, even if they've lost seven A-backs. Uh, this game, Florida State will have to outscore, uh, and, and if things don't go well, I'm concerned. think they'll win, but not sure it'll be easy. I, I can almost guarantee the first quarter won't be easy because every time Florida State plays Georgia Tech, after the game there's this talk about how you can't replicate the speed and it takes a couple series before the defense can figure it out. So I fully expect Georgia Tech to move up and down the field the first couple possessions they have the ball. The other thing, particularly about the defensive line, because they cut block, and, and by the way, I'm not complaining about that, it's a difficult block to, to take on. It's not illegal. It's just what it's called. You can't get upfield momentum. You can't get pressure. You can't get a push. or You're always catching. And uh, that's what happens with the arm tackles when that, that, that back will run by you. You get your hand on him, but you can't get too hands on him uh it just creates a lot of problems it is not a fun offense to face as a defensive player that said florida state will face at seven o'clock on saturday night in atlanta at bobby dodd stadium against georgia tech we will be back win or lose rain or shine lord willing next wednesday night at this time or the creek don't rise there you go he's keith i'm tom thanks as always for tuning into the front row